Welcome to the FFI Practitioner Podcast. Today we're pleased to feature Claudia Astrakhan, Annalene Mahils, and Randy Weishi. At the 2023 FFI Global Conference, they'll be presenting the session Incentive, Punishment, Reward, Control. The many misunderstood and underexplored manifestations of money in the business family. Thank you all for your input. Randy, we'll start with you. Why is this such an important topic? I've been studying this for 45 years um, in both my roles as a financial advisor and as a family business consultant. And what I found is that money's influence on the family enterprise is far more than legal documents, internal rates of return, asset allocation models, or corporate debt service ratios. Money's influence is embedded in virtually every personal relationship amongst the family members and amongst the family members that are not shareholders. So I've attempted to define the correlation of money and its influence on the family enterprise um, and knew we needed to enlist the talents, the expertise, the reputations of Claudia and Annalene to gain credibility and advance this important topic with other professionals. A response from Annalene. When Randy first approached uh, Claudia and me about this, we started looking for academic research on the topic. Uh, and in family business literature, indeed, we didn't find anything. There was one research article which appeared uh, exactly 30 years ago in Family Business Review. It was written by, by Joe Astrakhan, in which he talks about how to prepare the next generation for wealth and the challenges that come uh, with it. But now 30 years have passed and the academic debate has not continued this topic. Uh, and that's actually very surprising. Uh, as Randy just explained, this topic is so tremendously important in practice. So there's actually this big uh, unexplored territory when it comes to discussing the role of money in the family business. Claudia, do you concur with Annalene? Yes, absolutely. I think we see that there's, I mean, there's many great thought leaders out there that have written about um, the role of wealth for families and how it might impact um, relationships and such. Um, Jay Hughes, Lee Hausner have written great books about the topics, but um, it is true that there's just no systematic research on it, uh, be it qualitative or quanti quantitative in nature. What I found in part of the impetus of this is greed is the incubator of family conflict. And most of that greed is surrounded around money. We're talking about issues concerning money and finance that will certainly help family business practitioners in the future. Claudia, let's start with you. What are we talking about? I just want to, um, you know, think a, a minute about what Randy just said about greed. I do think that we we see greed often in our work with families, you know, people who want more. But, you know, interestingly, it's wanting more than others, right? Wanting more than your siblings or your cousins. And that implies there's an emotional nuance in there. So greed is the presenting issue. But what it's really about is that feeling of you've always had more than me. My parents always loved you more than, or our parents always loved you more than me. So there's an there's an underlying issue. And I think generally when we work with family, one thing um, that is clear to, I think, every consultant is that families may think they fight about a certain thing, but it's rarely what they actually 
fight about what they think they fight about. They fight about. So oftentimes arguments are centered around a deeper underlying issues that family members are either unaware of or unwilling to address, um, or it may be too emotionally challenging. Um, they may not be able to emotionally access that place uh, to, to open up to others. So in that sense, money is a very convenient proxy battlefield um, to really bring certain conflicts to light that are actually not about money at all. It's just very convenient to make it about money because it's less emotionally challenging to to say to your sibling, you're making too much money or I'm not going to give I'm not going to give that to you. Um, That's that's less challenging than saying, you know, I feel less loved than you or Mm. you've always mistreated me dead on. And I don't want to imply that all of the topics of money within inside the family are, are negative. I had a meeting just yesterday with a, a lovely family, the whole family gathered, and it's many people are in the business, many people are not. Um, but we really talked about the benefits that money has been able to provide for the varying um, family members. And the family's wealth has been able, um, the family, to, to enjoy the benefits without the fights. Um, one of the young ladies started a water buffalo farm to make um, buffalo mozzarella. Well, it's not profitable, and she doesn't work in the business, but the family members are delighted that the contribution to her has made her life better. So there's also a very beneficial side where money can provide harmony and happiness for the family also. Annalene, you wanted to add something about specific research you've done. So um, my research is actually uh, mainly about compensation. And what we see there is that some families uh, pay their family employees or their family members um, very much below or above the market rate. Um, and both of these, these choices have a clear signaling effect. So paying uh, above market can, for example, uh, signal to the family and the workforce that uh, family members are more valuable than than non-family members and that they they need to be uh, motivated financially to join the family business or that, for example, they have uh, special privileges. Uh, And on the other side, paying below market can signal um, that family members should be grateful to work in a family business. uh, And that is their responsibility to contribute to the family legacy by, by working there. So either way, actually over or underpaying uh, sends a signal is a, is a way of using money, and it's essentially tied to to some sort of of orientation, uh, as we will talk about in a minute. Let's talk about money scripts because that's a perfect segue. Do you want to start by defining what money scripts are, Annalene? So, um, money scripts is actually com- a concept that we came across in the financial psychology literature. And it basically says that uh, we all have these uh, sort of ingrained stories or beliefs uh, that sort of dictate how we approach money. These unconscious beliefs that are developed in childhood and they drive adult behaviors. For example, for some people, money is a source of happiness or a solution to all problems. For other people, money is is rather a sign of of self-worth or maybe achievement or a source of fear, anxiety or even disgust. Or it might be a means to an end, a source to do good, and so on. Now, obviously, this concept was not originally uh, crafted for for family businesses. So we we had to adapt them and and to see how they occur in this context. The money script process has been very established in the context of financial psychology. But the research you're doing now could be the first application of it when it comes to family business, and that's pretty exciting. Claudia, share with us a bit about the process, if you will. 
So um, for the purpose of the research report that we are developing right now, we did a series of expert interviews and then interviews with members of business families. And then we also did a survey, more than 300 participants from all over the world, and those are all members of multi-generational entrepreneurial families. So um, there's there's a couple of things that we're still analyzing the data, but um, and we don't want to share too much, but we'll share a little bit. I think what's maybe not surprising, but definitely important, is that there's such a lack of education um, that the respondents feel, um, you know, it's just not happening in their families around the topic of wealth and money and the role that that money has in their families. Um, I think um, among the respondents of the survey, more than a third say that um, their parents didn't do enough to educate them early enough about money and wealth. And this is actually something we also come across in our in our um, work with single or multifamily offices. Um, where family members just completely outsource um, the management of their financial assets to the family office, and there is no interest or, or understanding of how their wealth is created and perpetuated. Um, and that just leads to um, a, a disconnect um, from, um, you know, the family office and, and the family and, and then just from the individuals and their, and their wealth. Annalene, did you want to add anything to Claudia's comment? On, on the matter of financial rewards, we found something uh, rather interesting uh, because we know from decades of research on, on workplace motivation and psychology literature and, and satisfaction that financial rewards uh, don't work and, and even worse, they usually backfire. Uh, yet in our survey, we found that uh, 42% of the respondents say that their families use money to incentivize people. It, it should be easy enough for families to understand that, you know, you have a certain orientation when it comes to money. Does it make you feel good? Does it make you feel safe? Does it make you feel anxious? Um, and then providing them with a, with a framework that helps them think about, well, if we have this orientation towards money and wealth, how does this orientation then show up in the way in which we make decisions about money and wealth in the business and in the family? How does this affect the way in which we decide, you know, dividends, um, family member compensation, as Annalene just said, that's a huge um, a huge issue. You're also in the context of succession. There's families who have very different orientations in terms of evaluating the business in the context of a succession um, process. So there are families who strongly believe that, um, who have maybe more of a stewardship orientation, who who believe that whoever takes over the business um, should be able to do so at a lower price, but they also are required to hand over the business at a lower price. We call it low in and low out. That just you know highlights that stewardship orientation. You don't do this primarily to make money, but you do this to hold on and you give the next person the possibility to do the same, um, to continue the legacy um, without a primary financial objective. So these orientations can really show up in, in a multitude of ways and in, in, in different contexts in the family business. Annalene? Yes, and I think it's also important to add that we have these, these feelings or these thoughts about money, these money scripts that are individual for each family member. They're different. They're developed in childhood, but they're different for, for every family member. And then there is also this collective money script of the family. Now, when there are large differences in these individual family members' money scripts, and they're not openly discussed. This might, of course, lead to, to conflicts about money. Randy, you've been doing this kind of work for a long time, very successfully. 
And you're very enthusiastic about what both Claudia and Annalene are discussing here. I come from a whole different perspective. From my perspective, just from a practitioner with no academic training in this field, um, what I found is there's really nothing more intimate than money. When we're working with families, it really contains their darkest secrets and their brightest lights. It illuminates their souls like nothing else. In, In a profound manner, money shows where their hearts are. And then I take all of that when I'm listening to these families and I'm trying to integrate all this knowledge to how do we manage these families, their wealth, their businesses, and their succession. And so I have a academic knowledge of someone who is not trained in this at all, but no, there's an important element of this that's not being communicated. Claudia, share with us a bit more about the important impact of this survey. Besides education, Um, And the role of education and the lack of education, it was also interesting to see how isolating um, being wealthy can feel to the respondents of our survey. So I think almost 50% say that their friends don't know how wealthy their families are. And interestingly, that's more prevalent among women than among men. And of course, that may not be surprising because wealth is a private thing. Um, But it also means that we hide that fact, which is a big part of our identity from the people who are closest to us, from our friends, and that could feel very isolating. And that may also explain why then people socialize in circles that are similar to them, um, rather than, you know, having having a more representative um, friends group in, in terms of um, uh, demographic um, characteristics. If I may add one more thing, because this is super important from a from a longevity um, perspective for family business. So in our survey, we see that more than a third of the respondents are depending dependent on the income coming from the business. And that's not those who are employed by the business. Um, those are just distributions that long term is super risky because oftentimes Family members don't understand that without insane growth that the business can't achieve, if you have a growing shareholder group, the next generation is never going to get the type of distributions that the um, generation before them saw. So unless you have these discussions around how much money can we reasonably expect from the business as the group is growing, without depriving the, the business of that money it needs to grow, um, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Our thanks to all three of you for participating in the podcast today and also for your contribution to the FFI conference coming up. We hope uh, that our research is um, going to bring academic awareness to this topic uh, because it's so important for both business as well as family outcomes in a variety of ways. And at the same time, we also want to provide business families and their advisors, FFI members, with some research-based guidance on on how to actually have meaning uh, discussions and conversations around Uh, the role that money can play in families and their businesses. Our thanks to Claudia Astrakhan, Annalene Mahils, and Randy Weishi, who've joined us for a conversation about the many roles of money in the enterprise family. To learn more about FFI membership and the October Conference in New York, please visit www.ffi.org. I'm Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.